Well, here we are again, number 30-something from Porch Podcast, and we've got another staff spotlight, longtime staff member, longest year on the staff right now, Joel Drankpole. How's it going, Joel? Going well. Thanks for having me, Paul. Of course. Uh, you might recognize his voice from our Christmas episode or Easter, our Easter episode. No high holidays for this one. <laughs> just um, just vibes and space. Because I asked you what you wanted to talk about. That's what each of these episodes are. It's a really yep. complex format. I just ask, <laughs> what do you want to talk about? And then we sort of just do it for 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, you said the backyard. Yep. Which is... Uh, ongoing project in your life right now it is an on as a great way to describe it an ongoing project that will probably go on for months to come months to come given the state of uh production of construction materials yeah and other backyard time available from people doing the work and (laughs) and yeah availability of other things needed to complete the project yeah and so what's the uh What's going on back there? So we moved into our home about four and a half years ago. We used to live here at Front Porch, like some of the staff currently do, but in the, the what's called the Front Porch house now. That was great, but then we thought it was time to move. So we moved right off of Highland. And um, yeah, the backyard wasn't much when we bought the house. The house was great condition and... The people who lived there before us had really made it a nice space and had kind of already redone everything. So there wasn't much to do to the interior or exterior of the actual home. But the yard, when we moved there, wasn't much. So it's pretty much just some some grass, a little paver patio in one corner of the yard, and then a falling apart brick patio right off the house and that was pretty much it with a few plants here and there nothing much it was nice I mean it wasn't it wasn't bad but um it definitely wasn't uh what I think when we purchased sorry not when we purchased we had a home in Pasadena that we lived in prior to moving to San Luis Obispo and we did a similar type thing there there was a, a space and as soon as we lived there, um, after a year or so, I had a vision for what I wanted the backyard to look like. Um, and the similar thing happened at this home. Within six, seven months, I started sketching. I always like to sketch little drawings of what, in an ideal setting, and if I had all the funds in the world, <laughs> what I would like it to look like. And so I remember sketching a little drawing and showing Christy, my wife, like, hey, what do you think about the backyard looking like this and yeah she's like that's nice but that costs money and (laughs) other things like that um, that we don't have right now so the yard has sat pretty much as we bought it for the past four years and uh then in the midst of this past year obviously we were at home like many other people um for a a large portion of the year not really going anywhere I had a lot of time to sit in the backyard and got really passionate about wanting to to start redoing it and then um it 
just really low interest rates right now on home equity lines of credit. Mm -hmm. So got a home equity line of credit and uh, here we are in the midst of redoing our backyard right now. Nice. So yeah, I think the uh, one of the lessons that seems to keep coming back in the midst of the pandemic is like the, the space that we occupy matters and people I think have taken a an interest in like caring about their their home space more than they might have before because you know they're spending all the time in it maybe they're working from it if they were lucky enough to do that over the last year um but I feel like for you the space that you occupy and facilitate and manage has always been something that's like a, an important like like a value of yours yeah and sort of built into the the mission even of front porch uh to create environments of radical inclusivity where college students can form genuine relationships and experience life together is that it yep that's it nice nailed it heck yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what what sort of decisions decisions went into what you wanted the backyard to be as far as whether it's a sort of abstract notion of radical inclusivity or like we need it to do this function and people should be able to use the space in this like specific concrete way. Yeah, I guess a little, not a lot of background. I don't know if it's background, but um, space, like you're saying, has always been really important to me. Um, and I remember from a very early age, I mean, I think some of it, um, I think a lot of it was instilled into me probably from my mom space has always been very important to my mom. Um, and I remember growing, I think I actually talked about this briefly in the Christmas episode, but my mom was always thinking about and creating a space within our home in which both our family felt a sense of belonging and comfort, um, a place we went into and felt at peace. Um, I was, um, lucky to grow up in a home where I walked into it and it was a, it was a, a safe place. Um, and she also tried to create a space in which people could come into who are not a part of our immediate family and also feel like the moment that they stepped into it, that they immediately belonged. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. awkward walking into that place. It wasn't like a foreign place. It was like, oh, this could be my place too. Yeah. And I remember that from being a kid, um, and so I think that was a, I'm sure there were many other things that went into my fascination with, um, and passion about spaces, but I know that my mom was a big, a component of that. So yeah, um, in terms of our own home, that's always what I've wanted our home to be, um, kind of to, I guess, emulate in a lot of ways what my mom was able to accomplish in our home from what I at least remember as a child. And so creating a space both interior as well as exterior that people would be able to come into and feel a sense of belonging. Um, First and foremost, I think, for my immediately family. So for Christy and I to be able to walk in and feel at home. Um, For my kids, our three children, to be able to walk into a space and feel welcome at home, a place that they can be themselves, a place that uh, that they know that they're going to be known and heard and received and celebrated for who they are. Hmm. Um, 
and then a place that we can all, children included, be able to welcome in other people, um, our friends, their friends, strangers. Um, we don't we don't invite a lot of strangers into our home. I'll be a hundred percent honest, but um, that people could be able to walk in that we've never met before and feel a sense of belonging. So with the backyard, I think that is what I've wanted it to be. And before it was a space that really didn't have an identity when we moved there. And so we wanted it to be a space that would have a sort of identity and it's nothing complex. I just had in my mind a place. So what we're doing now, it's not, uh, I'll describe it, but we're doing a deck. We're doing, um, kind of a fire pit area. Um, we did a pergola. Um, the pergola is for shade, but really the pergola is about creating a, a different, some different spaces within the backyard that I envision. Like when I'm envisioning our space, what I envision is I envision Christy and I having conversations with friends. I envision the front porch staff sitting in this space. I envision our kids being with their current friends or their future friends down the road, like when they're old, well, our daughter's in high school, but them inviting their friends in their space. And I, I picture in my mind, not an vacant space with all these things, but this space filled with people and how that can then be utilized to facilitate all those things I was just talking about, conversations and acceptance and growing and learning from other people. And so I think for me, that's really what the space comes down to. It's about the connection that will then happen with other people. Um, It's not about creating a space that great parties can happen at. Although, yes, that, but it's more about what's going to come of that, the connections with other people that will come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. What I think a lot of that same sort of idea has come into front porch. What sort of decisions have been made that you can sort of point to things in the building that's like, we did this? I guess the building was here when you Yeah, the building already existed, but the building was bad (laughs) when I started here in the (laughs) sense that it was just, it was a very sterile building. Gotcha. So all the walls were white. Every single wall in this entire facility was a white wall. Wow. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. The back room had green walls. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's wrong. The back room was green walls. The The main room was dark red and dark oh, yeah, brown walls. The red. But then all the other, all the offices were white. All the upstairs was white. The hallway was all white. Um, and a lot of fluorescent lights, like all fluorescent lighting. Um, and those are just... I mean, that's great for some settings. I don't think it's great for any setting. Um, <laughs> fluorescent lighting and sterile white walls is just not, it, it's not good. It doesn't make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, it's the, a lot of this, and I think you're the one who, the, I don't, I'm not going to pronounce it right. It's the Danish concept of huga, huga. Yeah, something like that. Hige, H-U-Y-G-G-E. Yeah, there's been a commercial on it recently some credit card or something like got into it and has been like utilizing that for their camp ad campaign but um i read a little book on it it was actually interesting too because we talked to our danish friends about that concept and they were like huh really (laughs) yeah that's funny um but the book was written by i think someone who's danish but they weren't super familiar with the concept but then we started talking to them about the concepts within the book and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we do that. Um, the water you swim in, you don't know the name for it. Right. It's funny. Um, yeah, I've had some other experiences with other people about whether it's candy that I thought was from this country. And they're like, huh? We don't know anything <laughs> about that candy. Uh, but the a lot of like candles. So like the book, the the little book I was reading, all about the lighting. I'm, I'm big on lighting and how lighting makes you feel. 
and fluorescent lighting is horrible for how it makes you feel. Um, and especially this like constant light from above versus little pockets of light here and there. And so I've always like known that hmm. in for myself and felt like I don't like bright lights. Even we have canned light in our house. It's not even fluorescent, but I hate the canned lighting because it just makes a constant um, light from above and uh, versus turning off the canned lighting and having like three lamps in the room, which when I was reading this book talks about pockets of light. I'm like, oh, so this book is helping me give language to things that I've always felt. Yeah. Like I've always been drawn to pockets of light versus one constant light from above. Yeah. Um, and again, it makes me feel, <laughs> a lot of it has to do with how it makes me feel when I'm in that space. I feel much more comfortable. I feel much more at peace. Um, so like currently in our home, my wife loves turning on the canned lighting and so the kids do as well. And I walk in and I just, I hate it. Like <laughs> I immediately like tense up. Is like it on my, a dimmer? It is on a dimmer. So you can still dim it, but I still don't like it even when it's dimmed. Um, it's really interesting. The, the physical reaction, physical mental reaction that I have to lighting. Um, and I don't know where that comes from but i do think that's something that we as humans have that we have these reactions to the way things um are lit the way things are arranged um that's why so many stores especially now i feel like more so than ever are paying so much money for people to help them arrange their space in a certain way because they've realized that when a so it goes back to capitalism and and shopping but like they want to make more money so they realize that if a person comes in and has this physical reaction to their store or mental reaction to their store or spiritual reaction to their store that they're going to spend more money yeah that's what we're not we're not in the business of that at front porch but i getting back to your question i did want people to come into front porch and in a sense feel comfortable and white walls aren't gonna well right. i shouldn't say that there's places that do white walls really well um, like there does not exist. I think their walls are all white. If I think about it, or a lot of them are, it feels like a very, so and I like that space a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. but with the way this building is built, it, that didn't work. So we changed the color of the walls. Um, we changed the way that furniture was arranged. Um, we, I wanted the upstairs to have an identity, so we built a giant bookshelf. Um, that bookshelf wasn't there when you got here. Okay. No. That room was actually the worst room of the entire facility. <laughs> it was all white, and then there was Rand uh, Crew was utilizing that space when I started working here. It's a campus, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a campus ministry that exists, a Christian campus ministry that exists on Cal Poly's campus. Um but they were utilizing that facility, and there was just these random bookshelves all over the place. And I like the idea of having a bookshelf, yeah, especially with like a rolling ladder and just like a kind of having that just be ha that room have its own identity. So we had we hired someone to build us a bookshelf and painted it black and um, gave that room kind of its own identity as a as the quote unquote library. Um, bought a big table for that room specifically bought a big table in the center of the room again with the idea that people could gather around it that was the same that went into the downstairs room at front porch of building a a giant table in the middle of the room that people could gather around um yeah i remember the shift because my first year we still had all the red walls 
with none of the new furniture with a big long table and then the matching little tables along the the one side um and now it's like really hard to remember what was all going on there still was a center to the room it was a small which we still have that table it was a small coffee table with a couch and two rocking chairs around it which only allowed like four people to sit or five people to sit around so the idea was especially at the time we weren't only we were also thinking about the space of how do we seat more people in here but do it in such a way where it just didn't, wasn't like super overcrowded. And so we built a big table that eight to 10 people could sit around in the middle of the room and actually took up less space yeah. um, than the couches did. So one of the things that, one of my favorite things that I didn't do, it was an idea that we had talked about doing, but never did. But we had a former student do Sammy Case for her senior project built the bar out front which i just love that space as well it kind of gave the 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 front porch of front porch its own identity and a space where people could come and hang out um lighting i was talking about lighting earlier we i don't like the fluorescent lights at all even two days ago someone in the main room flipped on the fluorescent lights and i was like who does this (laughs) um but we again at front porch i think try to create pockets of light with all the lamps that we have. So those are some of the main things I think we did was um, were to change coloring, to um, bring more lighting in. Dom has gotten, so I kind of was doing this alone. And then once Dom um, came on staff, especially as associate director, she took more of an interest also in the building and how it appeared. And now she does a lot of that more, and which is awesome. She does a really good job of I think she's the one who actually picked out the colors in the main room for what they currently are. Um, gotcha. But yeah. Blue, for those not aware, the walls are blue. Blue blue walls. I'm curious if there's any inspirations you have, either like specific designers or like places that you've been that you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, No, I, I don't have any specific designers. I don't think that I know of. There's definitely places I go, though, and it's going to be bad because I'm not going to like be able to think of them off the top of my head. But there's places that I go to or stores that I walk into that I just feel different than other spaces. And a, a more recent example, and I like couldn't stop talking about it, was that place called, I think, The Coast that we went to on oh, our, yeah. st- the staff went on a camping trip and we drove up the coast of California up through Big Sur and there's this little place we stopped at this is kind of eclectic building um, that I just loved. I I loved how I felt when I walked in to that space, or at least once I got through the art, there was like a little art gallery entryway. Once I got through that, I just loved all of the different little pockets that were in that place to be able to sit and have a conversation. Um and I felt totally at peace there and comfortable to be myself. I didn't feel, oh, I've talked about this before. I didn't feel like I had to be something other than myself when I entered the space. Hmm. And there's often spaces that I enter, and this could all be in my mind, and it probably is, and I'm not putting this on the particular store, but there's often spaces I enter that I feel like I have to be something else when I'm there than what I truly am. Mm-hmm. And that could just be, and it probably is just all in my head. Um, 
but there's there's coffee places like that there's stores like that that i'm just like yeah i don't know if i really belong here yeah but i'm here and i and that doesn't mean i don't like the space but i just feel different when i'm in it and then there's other places i go to and i walk in and i'm like i could be whoever i want here and no one's gonna care no one's gonna judge me no one's gonna look at me um so and I think that's what we try to create at Front Porch is a space that people come into and they don't feel like they have to be something else. I'm not saying we do accomplish that. Um, maybe we do for some people. We probably don't for other people. Um, but my hope is that we're constantly trying to create a space that people can walk into and just feel like they can they can be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think the outdoors is also an inspiration. Not that I try to create a space that feels like you're outside, mm-hmm. um, but I I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I still, to this day, think the Pacific Northwest is one of the most beautiful places. Um, the trees, the type of trees, I think, specifically. Um, all of the lakes, the Puget Sounds, the mountains, all kind of blending together. Uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. And national like i love going to yosemite sequoia those kind of places and um, i love how i feel when i enter those spaces Hmm. even to this day when i go home to seattle it's like when i fly in i see all this landscape it's i feel different than when i fly into back into california and again that i'm sure that has to do with that's where i grew up um but it is interesting it's even like how I think of camping as a tangent, but um, Big Sur, uh, specifically uh, lime kiln, the, when you can camp in the trees, like I've always thought like, this is what camping is supposed to be like, like the, <laughs> the tall redwood trees. The platonic form of camping. Yeah. <laughs> and so much of my experience at Cal- camping in California, it's like, at least a lot of it's like, no, it's it's like more dry with like oak sure. trees. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't camping. Like, <laughs> cause I, and I, it gives me a totally different feeling when I'm camping near an oak tree versus when I'm camping near a, a tall redwood tree. Hmm. Like I feel something completely different. And I think that has to go with my, and influences my idea also of space and how we feel different things when different things are in the room. Yeah. 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 The, um, I once went backpacking, and we were up above the tree line, I think at like 10 or 12,000 feet and not a tree in sight. But there's a really big lake hmm. and then these sort of like um, like sandy dirt patches that sort of came up to the lake that you'd put your stuff on and then you can go pump water from the lake and stuff. But you'd be in direct sunlight all day long and... Um, and then you're also in this like granite bowl. Um, and I mean, we were camping. <laughs> we were definitely like sleeping <laughs> outside and cooking and stuff like that. Um, but it was unbearable. That was like one of the worst, most uncomfortable days because it was a very short day of hiking, only like four or five miles. And then we were just sitting in this granite bowl with no trees. Um, and that was not a space that I had any interest in returning to it's like you need a you need a tree that's one tree that's one of the things that we don't have in our backyard Hmm. which we're not gonna have (laughs) we might plant a couple of small trees but i wish we had 
some trees, trees in our backyard. Or we have trees that, um, which is actually kind of nice when I think about it, because we don't have to deal with all of the stuff that comes along with having trees. Um, sometimes they can be messy. Like so, that we have like I think three oak trees that are right behind our property, and they look beautiful, mm-hmm. um, but they're not on our property. But we don't have any trees, so we have never. And that was something I really wanted a way to be able to hang a hammock, and so. Uh, during the beginning of the pandemic, I made a little contraption that I could hang a hammock from. But in our new backyard that we're working on, I'll be able to hang the hammock between two of the posts for the pergola, from the pergola, hmm. but still no trees. Yeah, the the trees and space, I think, is something really interesting, especially you mentioned the, the, the hammock. There's some design concept, I can't remember who this was some famous architect where um it's like a building when you look at like a the empty lot before it's there and you're sort of like imagining okay like where's the the entry gonna be where was all where it's all where are all the things gonna go um and it always looks smaller the space you have to work with than when you put the building in you're like oh wow it's like a lot of space here but a big building here but the whole thing about like what the building ends up being is just a bunch of empty space and what the thing is is the space between like the things that you you put up um and so like you know the granite bowl or the empty lot um or a place where two trees are not when the two trees are there it's you have a space before you just had space now you have a space right which is kind of funny hmm. there was something i wanted to touch on this idea of radical radically inclusive environments uh, this has been a movement in the architecture world over the last like 80 years hmm. 80 or 90 years of things like universal design and um, design for all that a lot of it has originated in europe and then has sort of become exported elsewhere but so yeah like how do you how do you make a space that we're Anyone can use it regardless of age, ability, et cetera. Um, and things like the dropped curve, the dropped curb were like part of this movement of like, you know, how does somebody get from the street onto the sidewalk? And it doesn't affect anybody's use of the space, but only makes it more, more accessible. And there are seven principles of this that I just wanted to hmm. throw out here. You have equitable use, flexibility in use. Um, equitable use, I suppose, would be like, I don't know you put a countertop that's a little lower for a wheelchaired person to use. And then you can sort of somebody who's also standing can use it as well. Flexibility in use. Something can be used in different ways. Um, Simple and intuitive, uh, perceptible information, which is kind of curious. I think referring to like signage, Hmm. how do you make signs that are like make sense where they are related to the thing that you're looking at that the sign pertains to um this is one of my favorites tolerance for error so like something you use something incorrectly and it doesn't break Hmm. where i (laughs) I think of the espresso machine (laughs) it's like there's a lot of tolerance for error but not all error (laughs) Um, low physical effort uh so think about how you turn on a lamp like what kind of sort of ability with your hands do you need to do that especially like um we talk about the what is it pools of light or pockets, pockets of, light. of light yeah 
how do you do that? You do that with the lamps. So what does it take to turn on a lamp? Are you having to, you know, clench your fist to turn a thing, or is it just an easy sort of now at our house in button? the past year we've gotten Google Assistant. Oh wow. So now we just ask Google to turn on our yeah living room lamps or certain lamps. It's been much nicer. High high accessibility. Yeah. <laughs> um and then size and space for approach and use. And so yeah, there's like this whole um movement that's very sort of technical and specific about how all these things how all these things work. But then I think just as important is the sort of more, I don't know, touchy-feely sort of qualitative facets of a space, you know, like whether or not there are plants or... Oh, yeah, plants is a good one. Yeah, yeah, I think. I'm trying to think of a... That's something that we brought into Front Porch, going back to your question a while ago. Oh, yeah. We brought in, we don't have a lot, but we definitely brought in plants to the main room. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mention lighting here. Mm. And so I think, yeah, that sort of, it's a much more, you can't really measure like the comfortability of the lighting in a room. I think it really is a pretty qualitative assessment of like, this feels like a comfortable space. This feels like an uncomfortable space. Never a dentist that gets creative with the lighting. No, <laughs> the lighting's pretty standard. <laughs> or like a government office. Um yeah, like a post office. Oh, yeah. Lighting's always the same. There are some, I mean, post offices to me, I I don't know what the deal is, but <laughs> I love post offices. Just the sort of like symmetricalness hmm. and like where you have all the little P.O. boxes. Mm -hmm. I just love the, those like long, long hallways. I guess they remind me of like the Ministry of Magic from Hogwarts right. or something. Yeah. Um, and so many of those buildings were sort of built at the exact same time in the 40s and 30s and 40s as a response to the, the depression. So wherever you are, pretty much look the same. Yeah. That is another thing. I think about a place like In-N-Out. Wherever there's like two In-N-Out designs. I don't know actually how many. I think there's... There's just one. Well, there's the original In-N-Outs, which haven't changed much. With no... Down just in the LA. Yeah, down... Like we had one in Pasadena. It was like number four, I think, or something. I've been to that one. Okay. And so that was the one closest to our house in Pasadena. So it has its look. But all of the new ones, I we were actually talking about this. I was talking about this with our kids the other day because we were sitting in one waiting for our food. And they all look like you could. I could close my eyes. Like if I was just put in one anywhere in the wherever they are in yeah. California, Arizona, all the places they are, um, I would have no idea where I was. Totally. They look the exact same like exact same dimensions exact same everything yeah which is an interesting approach it's like the familiarity in a way i suppose mm -hmm. it's like i could be in my hometown after a football game or you know in whatever <laughs> other in and outs there are i guess that's the only one i have any sort of specific memories associated with um, right, it is interesting why they've chosen to do that versus even like a like a similar type, like a McDonald's. Yeah. I feel like they are vastly different based on the location and they try to do even different design stuff. For sure. Which is just interesting, yeah, why they chose to, yeah, probably the familiarity. Yeah. Even their menu has always been super simple. It's like you walk in, you know exactly what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting you were talking about 
because I haven't thought much about that, but the things that I cause me to be so fascinated with space aren't things that you can measure. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like how you feel. Like Right. That's like and it's not and it's something that can change from person to person. For sure. Like even though I so even though I'm want front porch, it's how like, well, how do I feel in front porch? And again, I say I want other people to feel that same thing that I feel, but we're all so different and we all come from different backgrounds, different experiences that it's gonna even the backyard at our house, like it's it's just interesting that that's not something you can measure and it's so unique from person to person. Yeah. But I do think, because businesses do this, businesses create, like they study it like crazy and pay people large amounts of money mm-hmm. and interior designers. And so there is a general sense of the general, I guess, population would feel a certain way when they enter into a yeah a space. But that's a that's an interesting thing that I haven't thought much about. Yeah, you think about like the different sort of coffee shops in Slow. There's like, I don't know, all basically doing the same thing with variations on that theme. Some open at seven, some open at eight, <laughs> some close at three, some close at 10. Um, but, and each one is sort of, I don't know, chasing a goal of like, you know, we want to sell coffee and we want people to be like, feel like this is their their spots that they keep coming back. Right. Um, and even doing similar things like let's put plants. Like I don't think I, there's a single coffee shop in the slow that does not have plants. Actually, that's not true. Black horse. I don't think has any plants. Also not sure about Kreuzberg. Um, but like Ken, they like filled that oh, yeah. space plants. with plants, which was an interesting thing. Cause it's this like pretty ugly corner where they have all these, all the valves for some water main or something like hmm. in their shop. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And they just covered it in plants. Huh. Um, so Is I that guess in it the worked. front? Yeah. Right. When you come yeah, in. Now that you're you talking face. about it, I remember. Yeah. Um, and then field day, newest on the block, friend of front porch. Wearing a field day hat right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, big patrons here. <laughs> field day. Um, also plants and, and very, I love how I feel feel there. <laughs> yeah, what's the deal? I, it, it there's an openness to it, and it is literally open, very open. There's and they are changing a little bit, but I think they're still gonna keep that vibe of being open. But yeah, I I don't feel contained when I'm there. I feel like I can totally. I think that's what so many people felt because they were they they were a place during this past year. It was outside, so people could come there and be outside. Yeah. And. Yeah, I think this, that is something I definitely want to get into as far as like this last year, people's approach to space has had to radically change. Yeah. Because certain spaces are literally safer than other spaces. Perhaps, you know, so we think. Um, It seems to be the case. Yeah. Enclosed spaces, less safe than outdoor spaces. And so, yeah, this whole shift to like, okay, how do we make our outdoor space also sort of this extension of what we wanted to do on the inside? Um, And like the space that so many people have labored for so long to make, like, okay, this is like big sky. This is like the sidecar interior. And now it's like, nope, not anymore. This is not like sidecar. I think of a lot because they have two levels Mm -hmm. and every room is sort of its own thing. 
and just so much attention to detail in that space, just like tchotchkes on the walls sort of arranged in, in just so. Um, and now they're, all those rooms are just storage rooms. It's like, okay, how do we do the same thing that we were doing inside, outside? Um, and Field Day, I think, has done that really, really well because they sort of opened with that. Yeah, they didn't have really an option. That was their... Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah, and now the ways that all these different places have sort of um, adjusted their outdoor spaces to make them sort of congruent or related to their their inside spaces. Like um, Kreuzberg got the uh, um, German beer umbrellas. Yeah. Sort of tie things together. Scout has all the matching furniture outside that they did have inside. And then some places it definitely feels like we just had to get some tables and chairs and put them out here. And I do feel for the most part, at least I'm just talking about downtown slow, all these places you're naming. I feel like in a lot of ways they, they do. And I'm not saying that this is always the case. I think people can do outdoor space and it can still maintain that unique identity that they have. Yeah. But I feel like in a lot of ways they have with the down, it's kind of, you lose without having that, space that you can do so many of those unique things to like the things that you're putting on the wall and the the colors of the walls and the lighting you lose the ability to do all of that yeah at least in the this downtown kind of area where you have this little piece of the street that you can utilize totally um yeah you lose some of that unique identity but yeah some people have done some small creative things to be able to try to maintain that I think it's going to stay. I think that people like it. Yeah. I love the outdoor aspect of these businesses now. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Field Day is doing the opposite. <laughs> They're time, about to open up inside. <laughs> time to move inside. We did the outside thing for a year and a half. Pretty funny. Well, one thing I thought was interesting as I was reading up on all this design for all, universal design, these sorts of things housing and the market for housing sort of is tailored to what what are they called developers think the market is for like what the who the the developers what they think the market is yeah Hmm. for who's moving into houses what Hmm. sort of family units these sorts of things and from the 50s and the 70s the vast plurality not the majority plurality of people living in houses were living in nuclear families Two parents, some number of children. But now, not the case at all. In 2010, what do you think was the the plurality of living situation in the U.S.? What? In 2010? Yeah. The plurality of the living situation? Like, what was the average? Like, the the... Of any sort of configuration, what were the the greatest number doing that one thing, not a majority, but the greatest number do like living in X situation. Oh, like a percentage. Yeah. The percentage I spot, I'll, I'll give you the percentage. Okay. <laughs> Top percentage of the situation where most people were in was 28%. Wow. And these were single adults living alone. And that was the highest percentage. Yeah. With the next 25% couples with no children. 
Okay. So most people, 53% 2010, we were living alone or with one other person, whereas most housing development was not for that configuration. It was for nuclear families, you know, more sort of three, four-bedroom homes. What was the percentage for, like, single parent with a child or, and then two parents? Nuclear families were 20%. Okay. And which was the same as adults with roommates, also 20%. Okay. And then single parent families was significantly less. Okay. So what is this? 25, 28, 20, 28, 7%. Single family parents, single parent families. Um, Yeah, all the developers are building apartments, condos, homes for nuclear families. Right. Yes. Um, But what's also interesting is like, I don't know, like these sorts of shifts as far as what living situations people are in. Um, I have a friend who's always talking about atomization, um, like the atom being the sort of smallest unit. Okay. So atomization of our lives. It's like we are sort of living in the smallest units. It's like us in our one room spaces with this sort of shows. It's like, yeah, most people are living alone mm-hmm. or with, you know, their their partner um which historically certainly not the case right most people living in in communities with grandparents and other people's children one's own children yeah i'm not sure where i'm going with this but i feel like there is a movement and it's maybe it's not that widespread but a that's becoming more common with um like millennial generation people uh living with their parents longer for sure becoming much more common than it was like even from the generation before yeah like where the idea no you get out of your house and (laughs) you you leave your parents or whatever your housing situation is from your childhood and you leave it as quickly as possible yeah where i feel like now that's I'm hearing more and more and knowing more and more people who are living with their parents in into like late twenties, you know, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's more similar to like what you were saying, like even in different parts of the world currently, that's much more common. I feel like people living, just living like having parents or grandparents like living in your home. Yeah. Or right next door at least. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my great grandma lived with us till she died, mm-hmm. which was interesting. It was like, I don't know, good for like childcare, but also like she was an old woman who had left Germany in the tw- 20s or 30s mm-hmm. and had a a lot of opinions about <laughs> the Jews and others. <laughs> Yikes. Uh yeah. Which was not something I really knew when I was six. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. They, my parents were talking about, you know, Grandma Claire, she would always say, I'm not going to say what she would say, but not great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there were all these ideas that people have for like, okay, how do we build homes for like the people who are truly living in this new sort of configuration of 
you know, one other adult or adults on their own, um, adults on their own. And they are calling this the flexible home with things like movable walls, adjustable counters, and multifunction furniture, hmm. which... Like a futon? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's I, what I'm thinking of when I think of multifunction furniture. Let me see if there a are any... A couch or a bed. Pictures in this What else would be multifunction? Oh, here we go. One flexible feature uh, is a working island that can be lifted for food preparation and other work and then lowered for dining. Ooh. So you have an island in the kitchen and yeah, it goes up when you're making food and then goes down. You can use it to eat at. That's similar, somewhat similar to what a lot of people, like we have that in our house. Like the, we have an island in our... With tall seats. We just have tall seats, but yeah. we use it to make food on and then we also use it to sit around and eat at. But No. Huh. Modular sofa and ottoman. Um, not a lot of pictures. Movable walls, I think, would be interesting. The um, I know there's a place, the apartments across from Scout on Foothill. Mm-hmm. They have bedrooms with a movable partition between. So it's like, oh, you have your own bedroom. It's a very small room, and so it's like this temporary wall that goes between the two. But it just lets them charge $1,200 for a quote-unquote <laughs> single bedroom with a, a fake wall, <laughs> which is not, I don't think, the sort of accessibility right. this article is uh, has in mind. I do uh, like the idea of movable walls, though. Yeah, you know. In space, like especially in like, I don't know. Like our two boys share a bedroom right now, mm-hmm. but they're and they're gonna share a bedroom and until they leave. Well, at least maybe when Audrey moves out, they'll one of them will get their her room. But um, yeah, to have a portable, movable wall or something to give them a little bit of their own space. Not that they need it. That's an interesting. Well, we don't need to go into that. But I think yeah, that's a good question. There's a, des- a lot of people desire. It's an interesting concept of, and I don't... Privacy. Privacy, yeah, like your own space. And I talked to plenty of kids and knew plenty of kids that never had their own room, like all the way through high school. They graduated high school and they'd shared a room with their siblings that entire time. And Yeah. But then in some families, that's like a rite of like passage almost, like you're, you're, you're getting older, now you get your own space. Yeah. Like our daughter's always had her own space and our boys have never had their own space. Hmm. Which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, the I have a friend who she grew up with thirteen siblings. Wow. Or she was one of thirteen. Either way, a lot. And when she she had her first bedroom with just her in it when she was twenty six. Wow. Yeah. And she was very comfortable with being living with others and like didn't know any other way. She's like, Of course I'd have a roommate, like it almost why would i want to be alone be curious how she felt at 26 like almost like would you even like it or want it <laughs> i think she likes it now okay <laughs> it's but easy i think to if, become accustomed to yeah at first it was like why would i why would i ever want to live in my own room i think for a long time and then you sort of come to a point where it's like actually you know it might be nice to be able to turn the lights on whenever i want but yeah i think the privacy discussion is really interesting because I think it's hard to talk somebody out of privacy Hmm. 
like once you have it you're like why would i give this up this right. is great um but i think it is interesting because we kind of made it up yeah as a like a value yes. or an interest and then especially as we sort of put more things that we don't want public on something like the internet whether it's our credit card numbers or like photos of our children not my children i don't have children but i know a lot of people have like opinions about right posting pictures of their children it's like privacy then becomes this even bigger deal and at a more like a sort of abstract weird level because it's like what is you know how do you keep those things private like oh your iCloud is secure how do I know I don't know how it works mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or whatever the the digital spaces that makes claims to privacy and it's like a it's like a marketing point too like your your stuff will be private which feels good but I'm not sure what that means. It's interesting. This got, I don't know where this fits in. Maybe it doesn't, but (laughs) talking about privacy and then relating it to backyards. Yeah. And especially in American culture, there's a book I read in college. It was specifically about this. I (laughs) don't remember the book, Um, but about the shift in American culture to backyards, moving to the back from the front porch. Well, this (laughs) all ties together. Front porch. Um, But the front porch was always a space in certain parts of American culture, at least a certain time period in American culture, where you people would sit out on the front porch in the evening, yeah. and um, people would all be sitting on their front porch, so you'd see everyone else, and you'd have conversations, and you'd talk across the street, or you'd see so-and-so walking by, so you'd get down off your front porch and go and have a conversation with them. Yeah. But then the backyards at a certain time in hi- American history became, and I forget, what it was that caused that and what time period it was, but became more of a thing. So everyone started going to the backyard where you build a fence yeah. and now you're all fenced in and it you're not seeing your neighbors as much, um, which is just fascinating yeah. um, because we wanted it to be private. We wanted our family to be more private or safe or whatever, secure, all these values that we started placing on home ownership. Mm-hmm. Um which is just fascinating. When we lived in Pasadena, we experienced that because we lived in uh, Pasadena and the area of Pasadena that we lived in was primarily Armenian. And we were one of the only non-Armenian families on our street. And the Armenian families in our neighborhood, every time there was a birthday, a funeral, um, an anniversary. Front yard. Everyone was in the front yard. And not just the family, like everyone. It was just Mm. packed in the front yard. And anytime we had a birthday party, we were in the backyard. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It was very interesting. When I was in Philadelphia, that was one of my favorite things about it because there was still a big porch culture. Mm. Everybody's got one and everybody's got like their like leisure space and loitering space out in the, the front, which I just thought was so, so cool. And on the backyards... um. I think there's more like, I don't know, valuing of like public space and the commons. Well, the commons don't really exist anymore, but, um, but yeah, public lands. And I think, I think, I guess Missouri, um, my old roommate, Michael, 
Hmm. His backyard had no fences. Hmm. And so then it's like, I mean, it's not a public land. It's not this sort of like protected national park or whatever. But, you know, you go from your backyard into your neighbor's backyard, just wherever. And there's no clear boundaries. Right. Yeah. Or any boundaries at all. No. Yeah. And that is just, I think, something, I don't know why, but in California, I feel like people would uh, not be down, (laughs) at least in certain parts. Yeah. Like, could you imagine pitching to your neighbors? Hey, what if we just like took these fences down? We've actually had that conversation with our neighbors. Really? Just because our kids are good friends. Okay. So. And so it's. No, we're not doing that. But but in our backyard, we back up against um, a church slash school nativity. And there's a, it's just a giant field behind our house. Mm -hmm. Um which when we moved in, there was a giant hedge on this chain link fence. And so you couldn't see through it all. And in the past year, we took that hedge down and wanted to build a more permanent uh, fence that you couldn't see through because we wanted the privacy. Mm -hmm. But since we've taken the hedge down and just had the chain link fence and all that light that comes in and us being able to see across the field the way that that has made us feel like, no, we don't. So we're actually Mm. keeping the chain link fence now. Wow. And we're going to, we painted it black and made it look a little nicer, but we've liked, we've enjoyed so much. It feels like what you were describing with Michael. Like it feels like there's just a giant field behind our house now, even though there's not, it feels like there is. And so we've enjoyed that. Yeah. That, that would be interesting if it truly just backed up to, the wild but yeah that sort of feeling that's um i think when people talk about the commons now and like a return to the commons the commons being a place where like any person could just live and eat you know the berries that are living out there Mm -hmm. and you know forage for their food and just do their own thing and then in the i don't know 18th century 17th century the closure of the commons turned it into private land agriculture this is like owned by this individual and is worked by this individual and anything that comes from this land the profits of that should go to this individual rather than just having a space where anybody can do their thing which of course it has its problems people can do naughty things in the woods um well this field behind our house is interesting because they used to have a chain link fence surrounding their entire property oh wow they took it down and put up kind of like a farm i don't know what the style of fence is but just a farm fence the Um, two beams yep exactly which now the entire neighborhood can hop over or through and use which some of our neighbors haven't been too thrilled about (laughs) um but it's essentially become a commons a commons And so people come and they walk their dogs there. I've seen people meet there from different parts of the neighborhood. Um, People come and do all sorts of things there. And it's kind of cool and interesting. Yeah. And we get to see it all from our backyard, which is I personally have grown to like. Yeah. I don't think I would like people coming right up against our fence, (laughs) but seeing it is um, really nice. (laughs) Yeah. The... um Maybe it's what we need. Hmm. Some more commons. Somebody will have to sell their land, but um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I think this is a. I think this is a great place to land, from the backyard to the commons. I like it. Nice. Well, um, happy June, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>